Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Elledge, and this is Skylines, the Cinemetric podcast. One of the many bits of the world we've, we've never really talked about on this podcast, I don't think, I'm not even sure we've ever mentioned the country, is the island nation of New Zealand, which is obviously, you know, historically was, was a British colony, now a very proud independent nation in the South Pacific. And I was uh, chatting to a former colleague of mine in the pub the other day about this, saying how like, I didn't really know much about this, the, the the urban policies of New Zealand and suddenly realised this would be an excellent opportunity to to get said friend on to to talk about them because he is kind of a one-man think tank really. I'll let him introduce himself. Well hello my name's Max Rashbrook yeah and I'm a researcher and writer on issues around inequality and democratic renewal in New Zealand and yeah back in London after having spent quite a number of years here in the 2000s working as a journalist. Yeah, and we worked together on a magazine covering the exciting world of the private finance initiative, all those bits of public infrastructure with, with massive bills attached. Yeah, it was, it was a very specialist industry, which, but it was a good place from which to watch things like the global financial crisis, because of course all those huge infrastructure deals suddenly got caught up, suddenly froze. I mean, it was kind of my, in a way, my introduction to some of the uh, the market failures that exist in the world. Great days. This is weird in this age of Brexit and Trump and so on, like a global financial crisis bringing about the collapse of the, the public sector it does kind of look quite quaint, doesn't it? Or maybe I'm just nostalgic for being, being young. Anyway, we're going to talk about New Zealand. So my impression of New Zealand is basically you've got these two quite big cities and then that's about it. You've got Auckland and you've got the capital, Wellington. Is that is that a fair assessment? Well, it's probably not so much anymore because, I mean, as with most countries around the world, you know, you've got the phenomenon of sort of concentration of things into big cities. And so actually Auckland now has about a third of the New Zealand population. So it's probably got about one and a half million people in it. And it's really become the focus of economic growth and migration and all those mm. things. In comparison, Wellington is the administrative capital, but really only has about 200,000 people in it, which is about the same size as all the other, quote, major New Zealand cities like Christchurch, Dunedin and the rest. So it's really at Auckland 
and everyone else kind of situation. Right. Okay. Because my impression of Wellington was it was bigger than that. I was imagining something like more, more like Brussels, but that sounds. I mean, two hundred thousand. We're talking like Stoke on Trent or something. That's really not very big at all. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially it's kind of and it has the feel of a very large village, really, rather than a major world city or anything like that. So you live in Wellington. I live in Wellington. Is there a Wellington bubble? Like there's the Westminster bubble with like all this other people involved in kind of politics and policy making and so on. And like is there an equivalent of like the Red Lion pub and all that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, particularly because at least, you know, in London, you've got millions and millions of people and you've got a financial centre. So you've got a sort of a variety maybe of bubbles going on. I mean, Wellington has... I don't know, at least 60 or 70,000 civil servants living in it, and then obviously not a hell of a lot of other people. So it is really, it is bubble mm. central. So it's more like a sort of mini Washington, D.C., really. Isn't yeah, that would that'd be a fair, if probably flattering comparison. Okay, well, let's run through the, the sort of policy areas that the Skylines and its listeners tend to get excited about. Let's start with the big one, which is transport. I have, I've never actually been, but I have an uncle who lives in Auckland, and I definitely have the impression of it being like one of those places that's incredibly spread out. Everyone's got quite big houses with, with like, you know, massive gardens, but you can't really walk anywhere. It's sort of, it's just a lot of people living kind of next to each other rather than sort of a dense city. Is that a fair, is that a fair description? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's sort of like Los Angeles in miniature, really. Auckland, probably from about the 60s onwards, really bet the house on motorways. So it has motorways, 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 and predictably huge, huge congestion problems. They're now trying to basically sort of retrofit some intelligent public transport options, but it's very slow and very costly because you absolutely have a city that is designed around the car at the moment. Yeah, and it is quite difficult if you if you're looking at that sort of low density. It's quite difficult to make public transport work just in terms of like having stops close enough to the places where people actually live. Yeah, and there's and so there's the kind of a big debate about the the, the future of the city going on at the moment, and you've got the intertwined things about urban form and around you know housing and where that is, and obviously in the transport that services that. So all these sort of debates are caught up in a big mess. We did a few years ago have a new unitary plan for Auckland, which was this pretty traumatic process where basically the older white well-off inhabitants who have these, as you say, these big houses on big sections, put a huge amount of effort into trying to block a shift towards greater density of housing in a constrained urban form, even though that's fundamentally what everyone knows is, is the right way forward. Out of that, they did get a unitary plan, which makes it easier to build up and sort of said, well, in future, probably about two thirds of the new housing in the city needs to be up and only about a third out, pushing outside the urban boundaries. So that is maybe starting to change things. And that starts to make, obviously, the public transport options look mm. a bit easier because then you've maybe got the density starting to occur. Yeah, there is this concept of transit-oriented uh, development where basically you, you build like a tram line and you make sure that all the sort of new homes and offices and shops are kind of by those stops. You kind of build like a sort of distributed city along a tram line because that way you can have all these things without without adding cars on the roads. Is there like a downtown full of skyscrapers or anything or is it reasonably low rise, the whole thing? There is a bit of a downtown and it is a 
I would say it's a pretty disastrous sort of area. And it's just deeply unappealing. And really nobody goes there except for tourists. I mean, the main street is called Queen Street. And it's in that sort of area. You've got the Sky Tower, which looks a bit like a massive syringe. It's sort of the one. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, lovely, lovely. And it's a casino as well, just to you know, <laughs> make, make everything better. So the, the downtown of Auckland is universally recognised as terrible. It's on a very beautiful port, but the port is still sort of, has these terrible sort of semi-industrial, but probably not actually that profitable industries in it. So it's quite hard to access the waterfront as well. So it's potentially amazing site, which could be a bit like Sydney or something, but is really is really not at all. So they're starting to think about pedestrianising Queen Street, trying to get cars out of the city centre more and more. And they're building more cycleways. And there's a big one of the other big features of Auckland is the Harbour Bridge, which kind of connects sort of the two sides of the city, if you like. And there's currently a plan to basically attach a cycle, to clip on a cycleway onto that. Oh, right. So literally a new structure that you attach to it rather than... Pretty much, yeah. They want to call it the sky part. But again, it's very much retrofitting because like everything else in Auckland for the last however many decades, the Harbour Bridge was built without any real concept that you would do anything other than drive. Right. Okay. And in terms of transport between cities, is there a railway network or is it all just motorways again? Yeah, it's 99% motorways. It's sort of, it's slightly embarrassing, but there, there are about three or four rail lines of any significance in New Zealand. There's some good commuter rail in Wellington, but other than that, there's a, there's a few big rail lines, but they are uh, embarrassingly slow. There's a train between Auckland and Wellington, which is a distance of about 600 kilometres, I think, something like that, which would be, well, I don't know, 400, 450 miles. Yeah, yeah. And it takes 12 hours. Okay, that's not great. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, it's a tourist attraction more than a functional means of public transport. Why is that? Is, is there a lot of freight on the line? Because that's, that's a problem with a lot of the American rail network is it's primarily for freight. So passenger services always have to wait for freight trains to pass. Or is it just like really bad? Well, no, I mean, again, a lot of freight that used to be on rail in New Zealand in recent decades has gone onto the roads. You know, it's incredibly inefficient and all the rest of it. But no, I think it is just, I mean, in New Zealand's defence, we have incredibly low population density, right? You know, we're just touching 5 million people in a country that I think is larger in geographical terms than the UK is. Mm. You know, so we've got 65 or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... And it's very hard to sustain high-quality rail with that kind of population density. Nonetheless, I suspect we've made a lot of poor decisions. I think we've got a very narrow gauge. There's been very little investment. We sort of disastrously sold off the railways in the 90s, a little bit like the UK. But then it was so badly run that we had to we had to buy them back. So they're back in public ownership, but don't really get a lot of investment. The only good thing I think that is happening is that because Auckland has become so incredibly expensive. I mean, I think it's one of the world's, has one of the world's least affordable housing markets. People are shifting out into the nearby town of Hamilton. And so they're now going to start putting on rail services in the Hamilton-Auckland corridor, which, which will actually be better and which will be more rapid. So you're starting to, to, again, maybe see little signs of a rail renaissance, but from a very, very low base. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So you mentioned that people are being priced out of Auckland because of housing costs. How's the how's the New Zealand housing market? Obviously, we love housing policy around here. So let's 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 get nerdy about that for a bit. Is is housing? Can you buy a house? Is renting okay? Just give me a sort of lowdown on the on the market. It's probably the single biggest political issue in New Zealand at the moment. Okay, I would say housing because it's got so incredibly unaffordable. Auckland's at the epicentre again of everything as the biggest city. I think it used to be that a house in Auckland on average, I mean, you know, all these metrics sort of vary, but it used to cost about three times average incomes and it now costs about nine times. Yeah. Okay, it, so that's kind of London prices, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's London prices for, for a city that, is, you know, frankly doesn't have a lot of the attractions that London has. And again, it is because of, it's the classic problem that you have to build your cities out or up and for a very long time, we've chosen to do neither. So there just hasn't been much house building mm. by private developers. And since the 90s, you know, our equivalent of council housing has been, well, governments have either done very little or sold them off. So the state's been pretty absent. So you've got huge problems with buy, being able to buy a house. It's um, increasingly dependent on having parents who can help you onto the housing ladder. And those will you know, themselves be parents who own houses. So you're starting to get an intergenerational kind of sort of people talk about the recreation of the landed gentry sort of effect. And for a long time, that wasn't feeding through into rents, but it is now. So rents are starting to skyrocket as well. And New Zealand is a little bit like London in the sense you have very few protections as a renter. So it's not a great way of life. And so you're starting basically have these simultaneous problems all over the New Zealand housing market. I'm kind of intrigued that this has happened in a country which, as you say, is incredibly low density, it, at least in, not all across the UK, but in bits of the UK, like London and the South East, you can kind of make an argument. It's like, well, okay, we've put artificial restrictions on where we can build, like the green belt and so on. But nonetheless, there is a limit to land within the M25 or, you know, in commutable bits of London or whatever. So you can kind of see how, like, 
it's not purely a political choice that we haven't built. Like there are physical limitations as well. It does sound to me like this is purely like people just don't want to build houses because you've got the space, right? Yeah, there's a lot of that. Although, I mean, you know, when, when you say there's the space and I was talking about the low population density, I mean, quite a lot of New Zealand you can't build on. I mean, because, you know, we have some decent sized mountains, for instance. Oh, that's a bit, yeah, okay. South Island you can't build on really in meaningful terms. I guess the other issue is it's also about where is the is the productive land because yeah you could expand you could allow Auckland to keep expanding outwards I mean there's a lot of space for it to do so you're right but the land around Auckland is probably some of the best farming land in New Zealand and so you're starting to get really really high quality land land that's great for growing crops and vegetables starting to be concreted over. Is this why people founded a big city there in the first place? Because it was next to the most productive bit of land in the, in the islands. Yeah, partly and unusually, almost uniquely for a, for a major-ish world city, it's got two very big harbours. It's right between two major harbours. So it's an incredible, it's a very sensible sort of strategic place mm. to have your main city. Uh, you know, the initial choice wasn't the problem. It is just... Yeah, just, just terrible housing sure. policy over a long period of time. And you said this is, you know, one of the big issues in New Zealand politics at the moment. How does that manifest itself? Well, it's just, it really dominates discussion. I mean, um, you know, sort of the cliche about Auckland, as you spend any time in Auckland, dinner parties are just people talking about house prices, basically. So it's right there. And, and we have big homelessness issues, you know, at the more significant end of the scale. Um, and we've seen, I mean, the last government, which was a conservative-led coalition, belatedly woke up to the fact that there was a housing crisis. And, basically, and the fact that it didn't get on top of it is possibly what cost it the election in 2017, was mm-hmm. certainly a large part of it. So they, they had a whole bunch of policies that they rushed out, which were pretty ineffective, most of them aimed at trying to circumvent planning rules. The new government has... Put a lot of store by a policy. It's a it's a labour led government. Um, something called Kiwi Build, which was really trying to use sort of the state's balance sheet to purchase houses off developers and then on sell them at affordably. And for a whole bunch of reasons, that really has not worked at all. And so it's a massive political problem for the Labour Party at the moment. Right. Okay. What are the other issues in New Zealand politics? What are the other things you guys are talking about a lot? Well, unsurprisingly, climate change is a big one. So, you know, our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, who's had a huge amount of international publicity, has made climate change, you know, she said it's the def- one of the defining issues of our era. She's called it sort of our, our generation's nuclear-free moment because, you know, New Zealand made a big splash in the 80s by, um, by declaring itself a nuclear-free country. So at the moment, they're putting through a zero-carbon bill model on the UK one. Problem is New Zealand's incredibly reliant on farming, both sort of psychologically and economically, and it's very difficult to get farmers to accept that uh, they need to change their way of life. So climate change is a big one. We have pretty major issues with inequality, which will come as a surprise to a lot of British listeners. But actually, New Zealand's level of you know the imbalances of income and wealth are basically the same as they are in the UK. Yeah, that's interesting. How did that happen in a population of four or five million? Because you kind of imagine inequality to be a sort of big country problem, don't you? Yeah, you do. We just, I mean, complicated history, but up until the 80s, we were, relatively speaking, a very egalitarian country. And then in the 80s, we sort of out-thatchered Thatcher, basically. We'd become so incredibly protected 
and a sort of very, very safe kind of country that there was a willingness to embrace sort of massive deregulation and stuff. So we had huge tax cuts, cuts to benefits, the abandonment of sort of public house building programs, bigger tax on unions, all the rest of it. And that's left us, so sort of in a quite short space of time, we've recreated the kind of inequality that took the UK centuries to oh, create. fabulous. Yeah. Well done. More, more efficient in a small country, I suppose. That's right. Yeah. Well, small country with only one House of Parliament. So before we had proportional representation, if you got a majority in Parliament, you could just ram anything through at any mm. speed. Is there particularly strong local government or anything to act as a block on that? Or is it just like really the, the national government does everything? Yeah, pretty well. I mean, because New Zealand's so small, people have always looked to the national government to do things. And, you know, we have local government that is so weak that it makes British local government look like a powerhouse in comparison. The I think there's only something about, something like 10% of all tax revenues are generated by local governments. It's very small. They do very little other than urban planning, dealing with various kinds of water, and well, and that's about it, actually. So they're no counterweight to anything, really. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about briefly is you mentioned that, you know, you compared Auckland to Sydney in a couple of ways. So I have a terrible confession, which is that I grew up thinking New Zealand was basically next to Australia. And I was quite old before I realised it's sort of next to Australia in the same way that London is next to Moscow. There's about 2,000 miles between them, right? Yeah. What's that relationship like? Like, do, does New Zealand kind of like look to Australia as kind of a bigger neighbour, or does it see it as a rival, or what's the? Yeah, I mean, it, it takes about three hours to fly between New Zealand and Australia, so it's a fair old way. I think it's that classic small country, big country sort of relationship, which embarrassingly is much more important to the smaller country mm. than it is to the bigger country. I mean. Probably not pushing it too far to, you know, say sort of Scotland, England, Canada, US, these kinds of things. There's similarities definitely between the two countries, which means that sometimes they form a sort of common cause against the wider world. But there's also massive rivalry and New Zealanders are very, very hit up about our relationship with Australia, particularly because... New Zealanders living in Australia increasingly have fewer and fewer rights because Australia is becoming quite xenophobic. Whereas I doubt that Australia... There's freedom of movement between the two, sorry. Yeah, 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 there is. But now if you're a New Zealander in Australia, it's much, much harder to get access to benefits and healthcare right. and things like that. Conversely, I don't think Australians spend a lot of time thinking about New Zealand on the day-to-day, just like Americans don't spend a lot of time thinking about Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fairly obvious from the state of British politics at the moment that English people don't spend a lot of time thinking about the Scots or the Northern Irish, so this no. is clearly a universal no, phenomenon. No. And, but, but the same question often, the sport is often the fulcrum. Mm. I mean, that's where New Zealanders and Australians do have a massive rivalry that's acknowledged by both camps. Mm. But also, you know, if New Zealand are out of a particular contest, you know, do people swing in behind Australia is, is the question mm. about, like, you know, if the Scots are out of something, do they support the English or not? And generally, I would say the answer is not, but it's an open question. Well, we're recording this. You probably won't hear this for a couple of weeks after we record it. So there's, I understand, a quite big rugby match tomorrow. So there is, I imagine there will be some very big rivalry going on there. Yeah, and that's and that's going to be tense because, um, you know, I wouldn't say uh, that the English are the most sort of graceful victors. Although, as someone once said to me, that's because, you know, we don't have a lot of practice at it. And on that note, thank you very much for telling us all about New Zealand and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much for having me.
You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show, and I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.